So, I mean, don't be afraid of asking questions. It's always better to ask one question too many than than sitting there on your own for 30 minutes trying to find out something that you might not have the answer to on your own. Hi there, and welcome to the 12th episode of the You and Job Find a Career podcast by Antoma. My name is Magnus Bucht, and this is a show where we want to increase your chances for having a career with the United Nations, European Union, development banks, intergovernmental or non-governmental organizations. In the show, we're talking to people having a remarkable career within this field, getting their stories about how they once entered, choices that they've made during their career, challenges that they've faced, and not least to hear what kind of advice they can share with you. Today, we're going to talk to Becky Bakr Abdullah from the Norwegian Refugee Council. I'm sorry to say that the sound quality is not perfect as the connection to Erbil in northern Iraq was interrupted a couple of times. Still, listening to this episode will really give you an understanding of what it means to be working in a conflict situation for an international organization such as the NRC. And as you will hear, Baki has gone in a short while from graduating university, having an internship, to being sent right into a role where she's dealing directly with the humanitarian crisis in Iraq. So, without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Today, I'm very happy to have Becky Bakr Abdullah with us on the UN Job Finder Career podcast. Becky, welcome to the UN Job Finder Career podcast. Thank you very much. Great to have you with us. Becky, you are currently working as a media coordinator in Iraq for the Norwegian Refugee Council, the NRC. Could you tell us a bit more about who you are and what it is that you are doing? Yeah, well, I'm a 27-year-old um, uh, girl. I'm uh, from uh, Norway, uh, more specifically the capital, Oslo. But I am myself a child of refugee parents from Kurdistan, which is located in the northern part of Iraq, where I'm currently based myself. Okay. Um, obviously, that sort of background has always given me an interest in um, more than just the Norwegian border. So I've always sort of seeked away from only Norway. I've, I've always had an interest in traveling and learning more about other cultures and, and other nationalities. Um, so when it was time for me to, to study and decide on something to to study. Uh, I started off in Rome in Italy uh, and I did some courses there in philosophy um, and then I did some courses in sociology before I decided that media and communication um, sounded very interesting. Um, so that's my background, it's within media and communication. Um, and it's given me a nice platform for the work I'm doing now with NRC, where I'm the media coordinator. Um, and I'm also based abroad. Uh, so <laughs> I find myself in a very satisfying position. Great. So tell us, where are you now and what does it look like around you? Yeah, well, right now I'm uh, stationed in Erbil, which is the capital city of the Kurdistan region of Iraq. 
So it's basically a city in the northern part of Iraq where the majority of the population are Kurds. Um, but with that, uh, my job also comes with a lot of traveling. So for the last month, I've been based in Baghdad. Um, covering the Fallujah crisis and response. But I also travel to other parts of the country, to a city called Kirkuk and, and also Duhok, which is a city in the northern part of Kurdistan, where most of the Syrian refugees are currently located. Okay, great. So let's come back to more about what it is that you do and, and as a media coordinator and, and the situation currently that you're dealing with. But Becky, I would say that you are also now maybe more in the beginning of your career. You worked a couple of years with NRC. How did... How did that career start? I mean, you said that you started, you wanted to study media and communication. How did you end up with working for NRC? Yeah, so as a, a media advisor, obviously you have different um, directions you can take. The communication part of my education is quite wide. I mean, every single workplace need to have good communication, whether that's internal communication, uh, meaning the communication that is between the staff members and the colleagues in a workplace, hmm. or if it's external communication, meaning if you're part of a firm, an organization, or a governmental um, organ that needs to communicate externally to, to the public or to other stakeholders. Um, so the communication part of my position really opened up a lot of doors for me and I could basically decide whether I wanted to work in the private sector or in the public sector. And then the media part of my work is obviously more related to, to, to the external communication. Mm. So in that, I knew that I wanted to work for a private organization, an independent organization with a, an ideal goal. Um, so I've always known that I want to sort of work for the greater good or, or somehow through mm. my line of education help other people. Um, and as part of my last semester at uni, we were given the opportunity to become interns. And the Norwegian Refugee Council, uh, with their head office in Oslo, had taken in students from my uni uh, in years before me. And uh, after a bit of back and forth and... Uh, and uh, evaluating what sort of humanitarian aid organization I wanted to work for, the choice fell on NRC. They're very well recognized for their in-field sort of expertise, which I found extremely interesting to have a job where I'm actually on the ground in close communication with the people we're meant to assist. Mm. But also, obviously, my own personal background, being the child of, of, of migrant refugees that managed to escape their country and, and make a new life and a new beginning, uh, providing loads of opportunities and hope for their own children. The Norwegian Refugee Council fell as a very natural option for me. So they accepted my application as an intern, and I, I did an internship there for three months. And, right. and through that internship, I was 
really very dedicated and devoted. So I would work late hours. I would really show that that this is something that is more than just an internship for me. Hmm. And uh, that was recognized by my mentors and my colleagues at the time uh, by giving me more opportunities and more responsibility and more tasks, basically. And I, hmm. would, uh, I would say yes to everything that was thrown my way. Um, and was very excited to do so, hmm. uh, which then again provided me a summer job for two months. Uh, and from that, the ball sort of just uh, rolled out and, and I was given an internship in Iraq for four months. Okay. Um, before then going back to head office, working as a media uh, coordinator. And now I'm based in, uh, in Iraq, which is an RC's biggest uh, country operation so uh, yeah it's been quite a uh, it's been quite a uh, big opportunity for me to get a foot in with NRC um, to manage to show that I'm dedicated and devoted uh, and to be uh, and to be identified as as you know um, as a hard-working colleague as well, which they've been willing to build upon. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Mm. Great, fantastic. Yeah, I can see that your hard work has really paid off. Yes, <laughs> I like to think that it has, yeah. Yeah, great. So, Becky, can I ask you, because you, I mean, we see that communication work is really... Um, an area where many international organizations are recruiting, um, but it might be an area also where um, lots of people who are wanted or have their ambitions to work with more mission-driven organizations don't really, that's probably not the area that they think about the first. So you, can you tell us what is it that you do in your daily work and, and why do you think that um, for you or for NRC, why is it important to have good, for example, now media coordination? Yeah, so um, the organization I work for basically has a very strong operation side. And what does that The aid that we're actually delivering through our education programs, through our shelter programs, through our um, ICLA programs, which is uh, which is information, legal assistance and counselling, or our WASH programs, which is uh, water, hygiene and sanitation. Hmm. Through these programs, we have a very strong presence in hmm. over 25 countries worldwide. We're actually over 9,000 staff members working hmm. to provide people in displacement with these different services. Mm. Now, because we're such a huge organization and because we're an independent organization, we're also extremely reliant on support from stakeholders, mm. such as donors, but also the public. Um, part of my mandate as a media coordinator is to advocate for change. Meaning, uh, when there is a crisis going on, like the last one we've now seen in Iraq, which is the retaking of Fallujah city, where approximately 50,000 individuals were trapped for around a month's time, my mandate is to get these people's stories out. We want to get the Iraqi civ uh, civil societies, civilians, um, stories out. We want to put it on the agenda. We mm -hmm. want the rest of the world to know what is going on. 
what type of suffering these people are going through. Mm. Now, that's because of two reasons. One is, is the information itself. People um, back home, friends, family, neighbors, you name it, politicians, need to know the condition for innocent people. That information we need to have. Mm. We need to know the consequences of the actions when a war is started. Mm. Um, the second one is, is to try to advocate for a change. Now, what does that mean? That means in this case, in Fallujah, it meant trying to secure these 50,000 individuals that were trapped in their own city, um, safe routes out. We mm. wanted to get them out in safety without them having to um, jeopardize their own lives and the lives of their children. Mm. Secondly, we want to mobilize more support uh, through funding basically through more money for the work that we are doing, which is providing them with life-saving assistance. Mm. And media is only one way of doing advocacy, and it's the most public and external way of doing advocacy work. Through our last campaign, which was to try to get Fallujah on the map, we really have managed to raise awareness around all the civilian loss and innocent people's lives and what has been going on with them in the middle of a very heavy crossfire. And we've also managed to mobilize more funding and, and donor interest and support uh, in, in order to give them the help that they need because Iraq, um, as well as many, many other crises around the world, are massively underfunded. Mm. There are people back home, in my own home country, Norway, who don't really see the reason why we should help anyone else than ourselves. You know, they think that Norway is a rich country. As long as me and my family and my friends and my neighbors have what we need, then why should our tax money go for people far away in a distant country? I don't even see them. I don't even know what's going on with them. You know, mm. my job is to try to enlighten these people and give them the information they need in order to stop for a second and think, wait, these are our fellow human beings, these are innocent people, they need our help. It could just as easily be me or you. Um, so I guess through the work I do, my main objective is to try to change public opinion as well as the rest of the international community, mm. politicians and the donor, uh, and the donor society. Mm. Fantastic. No, extremely important, of course. So, but bringing that down from, I think I can understand your overall objective and, and how important that is to create awareness and to be an advocate for, for the people who are suffering in, in the region. But tell us then more, a typical, what does a typical work week um, look like for you? Yes, yeah, so obviously depending on the level of the crisis, um, Iraq is of course in an ongoing crisis. I am, they have 3.4 million people that are currently displaced inside their own country. And in, decision, uh, in addition, the Kurdistan region of Iraq have taken in approximately 250,000 Syrians, hmm. which means that Iraq is in an ongoing crisis currently now, escalating into becoming a humanitarian crisis on a very big level. A week for me um, can be anything from coordinating with journalists. A lot of journalists want to write about the crisis and the human 
and suffering and of course that's something we support because they also provide a channel for these people's voices to be heard so i can coordinate field visits with journalists helping them get access to places they might not get access to themselves um, introducing them with families down here that are displaced and that i know well and that want their voices to be heard that are open to talking to external media hmm. Another part of the job is me myself working as a journalist. Uh, I'm mainly based out in field, meaning that my job is not an office job. I'm out in the camps and in the areas where the displaced populations have sought refugee. Mm. Um, I'm there talking to them. I'm, I'm writing down their stories. I'm filming them. I'm, I'm taking their photos and I'm producing multimedia material myself. In order to in order to get the stories out, and other side of it is like we now saw with Fallujah that I almost work as a correspondent, mm. where external media contact me and they want interviews from on the ground. We provide them with the latest updates, numbers and figures, but also uh, with quotes and and uh, strong testimonies from the people hmm. that are displaced and that are suffering in order to raise awareness around their situation. Hmm. So it's definitely a coordination position, which includes a lot of different and, and, and highly challenging and fun uh, tasks. Mm, yeah, I can see that it's extremely rewarding to be in that position could you tell me becky i mean going from going from the rewarding side but i can also understand or imagine that it must be quite frustrating and stressful to actually be in the in the middle of such a crisis that you are in so what for you personally what was what is your biggest challenge My biggest challenge up until now, the last month with Fallujah, has been to get Iraq on the map. Um, in many ways, we can say that the Iraq crisis is a forgotten crisis hmm. in the sense that Iraq is all all over the news almost on a daily basis, but the focus tends to be with the military and the political narrative. Hmm. Uh, so the human side to, to what's going on here is often forgotten. Mm. People are very interested in reading about the politics around it, international states' involvement in Iraq, um, the different worrying parties in the conflict. But we're not hearing too much about the civilian population who for decades have been trapped in crossfire mm. and in a very unsecure security situation. Mm. So up until Fallujah, I think my main challenge uh, through my work was to try to get media attention. Mm. I have tried to send out several press releases without really getting a lot of attention at all. We see that there is a lot of attention on, on Syria, mm. rightly so, but in that Iraq is definitely forgotten when it comes to the human stories, the human testimonies, the human suffering that we so desperately need more mm. focus on. And that's also what's been extremely rewarding and something I'm very proud of myself and my team for mm. down here, is that we've now managed with Fallujah to show the rest of the world through BBC, through Al Jazeera, through CNN, through New York Times, through dozens of different media outlets that 
these are the people of Iraq, these are the civilian and innocent women, children, elderly, um, that are taking the biggest fall for what's going on here. And, and that's been extremely rewarding. So although the days can be very, very long, um, media works in a way that if you get a momentum, you want to try to stay on top of it. Mm. And we have for nearly a month now, we're still able to sell in stories about the civilians here, um, which means extremely long working hours, high intensity. Uh, you're in cars for hours to try to reach the. You're out in the scorching heat interviewing people. Of course, you hear about a lot of human suffering that at times can be mentally distressing for me as well. Um, but when you then have, you know, BBC calling you up and they want to hear what is it that these people told you today, it's just that more rewarding and, and you really get motivated to just continue doing the work you're doing. Um, and at the end of the day, it is about the internally displaced people and the refugees, um, which is why NRC is present in Iraq along with other humanitarian actors. Hmm. Yeah. No, fantastic, Becky. And I, I'm, I'm sure that when people are hearing how passionate you are about your work and actually the impact that you can have or that you are having as a media coordinator, I'm sure that many are interested in thinking, how can I join the team? But my guess is also that you have lots of people who might be concerned about their own well-being, their own security, if they would um, like to go to Erbil, for example. So how is that? Can you say anything about what is it like for you to actually be on, on the spot and, and you know, how does that affect you? Yes, sorry, Magnus, you broke up really badly there. Do you mind just repeating the last question, please? Yeah. No, so I, I think that lots of people who are hearing your stories now and, and hearing the impact that you are having in your role, and um, they probably are very motivated in or interested in joining your team. But my guess is also that many of them might be concerned about their own security, their own well-being, if they would um, go to a place such as Erbil. So can you say anything about that? What is it like for you security-wise, and how is it more like to, to be in that spot? Yeah, I mean, of course, as a person who started off my career with NRC at their beautiful head office in Oslo, in, in safe Norway, um, the distance uh, is quite uh, big to the life I'm now living in Iraq. Um, so that's a decision you sort of have to take and you really have to think through it. I was in close dialogue with my parents, with my closest friends back home, and also with my colleagues before I made the decision to to get out here, to, to be uh, to be stationed out in the field. Mm. Um, and in many ways, that's a personal decision to take as well. Um, I knew with myself that. I'm in a place in my career, but also personally, where I have a lot of extra energy. Mm. I'm able to give that extra percentage. Um, I have the right support network around me, both from my organization when it comes to security and, and, and uh, 
mental health following up, but also in, in supportive friends and parents that, that I'm in touch with on a weekly basis, that I can vent to, that I can cry to, that I can laugh to, um, that sort of give me that sense of normality, even though uh, my job out here in no way resembles my office job in, in Oslo, in Norway. What's also extremely important is that you take that responsibility yourself um, of ensuring your own well-being whilst you work in, in a conflict-affected country. Now, I do that through different choices and decisions. It can be as easy as a decision of what you're going to put in your mouth when you're hungry, trying to keep a healthy um, diet, trying to move, uh, you know, trying to have a gym membership and... and and or do boxing or whatever it is that makes you sort of get a mental release and, and sweat it out a bit. But also surround yourself with good people. I mean, the individuals down here really make the difference. My colleague down here, my mentors, and that are in the same position as me and that can guide me and motivate me equally as I guide and motivate them as best as I can. So no doubt, I mean, working as an aid worker in, in a conflict-affected country is a decision you have to be very aware of before you enter it. Mm. Um, many wouldn't want to or wouldn't like the type of work. Others can't imagine themselves doing any other line of work than what it is that I and many others are doing. Security-wise, um, NRC provides a spectacular heat training um, which uh, trains you up in how to deal with different possible scenarios that you can meet with when you're in a hostile environment. Mm. Uh, that's a week-long, very intense training. Uh, I've done several trainings online that the UN provide um, mm. that basically just... Uh, um, gets you ready for the different types of scenarios and threats that you can meet. Now, we also, of course, have security advisors and other security networks in country at our regional office, at our head office, where we get a lot of uh, uh, in-depth assessments and analysis done, and where they provide us with, uh, uh, you know, rules, um, and uh, also guidance and advice on what to do and what not to do. I mean, staff security comes before everything. Right. Uh, we can't help anyone if we're putting ourselves at risk. Hmm. So that always comes first. So in that sense, I feel quite safe, while at the same time, I always am alerted. I'm always mitigating the risks. I'm always trying to keep a low profile. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for elaborating on that, Becky. So, um, again, I'm, I'm sure that there's so many listeners now who are interested in, in joining NRC, joining your team. So, if you would give them some advice on actually how to get their foot into the door of, of NRC or, or any other also humanitarian organization, what, what would your tips be? Well, obviously, I mean, the, um, the business I'm involved in here, which is the humanitarian sector, is made out of uh, highly professional people with decades of experience, with, uh, you know, high educational background, um, 
I used to work in the same office as our Secretary General Jan Ergelan, which for many people is a legend. Mm. So you can quickly feel a bit disheartened and you can quickly, as a junior, and I am still a junior, it's only my, I'm entering now my third year with the Norwegian Refugee Council. Before that, I was still a student, as Mm. I mentioned initially. You can quickly feel, oh, wow, (laughs) Hmm. how will I ever be able to measure up with my colleagues? Uh, There are so many great individuals uh, within NRC that that are extremely um, capable and resourceful. Hmm. I think my biggest advice would don't be intimidated. Uh, On the contrary, try to get close to these people and use them as your mentors Hmm. and, and be... Um, be um, ambitious but also be humble Mm. be ambitious but also be humble have your goals straight aim for where you want to go work hard for it and and with that I mean 12-13 hour days uh, even more work hard for it but also be humble in the sense of listening to others taking their advice and, and truly finding one or two mentors that you can look up to and that can motivate you, I guess would be my my advice so far, uh, not even three years into my career. <laughs> yeah. No, great, great advice. And, and I also believe that mentorship can be extremely rewarding for you. But t- So tell me, how did you go about finding a mentor? Did you just approach the ones that you felt could be a good mentor to you or... or what would you be your strategy? Yeah, through my initial internship, I was given sort of a mentor or a person that was meant to guide me. Mm. Um, so that was that choice was sort of made easy. But then, of course, also through the line of your work, through your day-to-day office work, you will find uh, certain colleagues that you identify more with and 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 that you sort of really start to look up to and 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 admire for their work. Uh, and, and so, uh, provided that you're in a fruitful environment where there's a lot of positive work space, you will be able to find those relationships where you can reach out, ask a gazillion questions. I still always carry a notebook wherever I am. If I'm out in field collecting human stories, of course, I, I need a notebook. Hmm. Or, or if someone calls me into their office, I always carry a notebook. I note down everything they tell me. Um, and I also ask a lot of questions. And I was lucky through my initial months at NRC at the head office as an intern. Um, I had a lot of very patient people around me that would answer my 46th question of the day, although they were themselves occupied with very busy schedules. So, I mean, don't be afraid of asking questions. It's always better to ask one question too many than than sitting there on your own for 30 minutes trying to find out something that you might not have the answer to on your own. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Thank you so much, Becky. Um, you have given great advice i'm sure that there's so many people now who are really inspired by what you have been telling us um, that they feel that not only understanding perhaps more about the importance of the role of working together with media getting the awareness being an advocate for what's actually going on in in a region like you are in so again 
thank you so much. It's been very pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me on, Marcus. It's been a pleasure being on the show. Thanks a lot. Great. Thanks, Becky. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Becky Bakir Abdullah from the NRC. Becky, again, thank you so much for joining us. To ensure that you'll get all new episodes, we advise you to subscribe to on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. Showing what you think about this show by leaving an honest review on iTunes is something we really appreciate. At youandjobfinder.org forward slash podcast, you can always find show notes of the episodes and the full transcript. So bye for now and see you in the next episode.